What's up, everybody? I'm Najee Adams. And I'm Hunter Jacobs. And you're listening to the Hootball Nuts Podcast. If we sound different, most likely better, it's because we're not recording on Skype anymore. We're just going to record in person like we've been doing and uh, just try and be more consistent. We did have to take another break slightly because uh, Hunter got his wisdom teeth out, so he couldn't really talk for a good little while. But now we're back. We're good. Ready to talk about the All-Star break and the Nets' last two games. But before we get into all that... Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at HoopBallNets and make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. You can look up Brooklyn Nets, one of the first podcasts that comes up. Make sure you leave a five-star rating and review. All reviews are getting read on the podcast. Speaking of reviews, we have a new one. One of my most favorite reviews that we've gotten. It's by RC974, and it says, I find this podcast to be quite comprehensive. It summarizes and discusses the implications of the prior few games. The listener is given clear insight into the state of the Nets. The hosts are very candid about perceived areas of improvement for the team. This is refreshing and helps temper my expectations for the season. I had been browsing other Nets podcasts for some time. Once I found this one, I stopped looking. These guys are great. Thank you so much, RC974. Yeah, like I said, that's one of my favorite reviews. Just because, like, we've never had anyone say that, like, once they found this podcast, they stopped looking for other Nets podcasts. So it's super special to me, and I'm sure it means a lot to Hunter, too. But, yes, we appreciate it. Make sure you guys go leave a rating and review. And, uh, yeah, it can get right on the podcast. But um, we're going to get into the Nets' all-star break festivities. So the Nets had four players competing in... All of the all-star events, uh, Rodion's Crooks and Jared Allen was in the USA vs. World game. Joe Harris was in the three-point competition. And, of course, D'Lo was in the all-star game. So uh, we can just start with Rodion's and Jared Allen. So uh, if you guys don't know, Team USA beat Team World 161-144. to 144. Rodion's was on Team World. Jared Allen was on Team USA. Rodion's finished with 10 points on in 15 minutes, 4 of 9 shooting, 2 of 6 from the 3-point line, 4 rebounds, 5 assists. Nothing crazy. Honestly, if I had to give him a grade, I'd give him like a B. It wasn't an outstanding game, but it was... Better than a second-round pick. Exactly. Solid. Like, it, was a, it was a war team USA or team where I always just want to call it the Rising Stars game. It, it, it is the yeah, Rising Stars game. it's the Stars Rising game. Stars game. I'm just going to call it the Rising Stars game. It was a Rising Stars game performance. There's nothing... Like, he had no expectations. It was great. And uh, to Jared Allen, it was expected that Kuzma, Tatum, Mitchell, Simmons, Trey would, Young would dominate the game. They're the best players in the game. So the the only like shocking bad performances were not even bad. Like subpar were really Luka Doncic and John Collins. Like you would have expected them to go off, but both of them were just eh, average. Uh, yeah, Jared Allen, 14 minutes. Oh, and De'Aaron Fox. He had 16 assists and five steals, but he did not score at all. He only had two points. Yeah, I don't think he was trying to score, but honestly, the 16 assists is kind of sick. He had a, a plus 20, John plus Wall minus. had a near 20-20, yeah, yeah. not 20-20 when he played. Um, Marvin Bagley was kind of eating. He was. It was ba- At the end of the game, it was basically just a dunk contest, and they were all shanking them. <laughs> and then Marvin Bagley came down and did a 360. But Jared Allen, 14 minutes. Two points, 0 of 2 from the field, 0 of 1 from the three-point line. 
all of his points, well, both of his points came off of free throws and then five rebounds and two blocks. He was the worst player on the squad <laughs> and played the least minutes. That's the bottom line. I just want to say, if I had to give him a grade, I'd probably give him like a D. I would give him an F. I'm I want to say F. that this isn't the type of game for him. Like, this isn't his type. This isn't no, his environment. put it this way. Because he likes to play serious and he doesn't have a flashy game. No one wants to block in this game. Yeah, exactly. He's meant Nobody for shot blocking. Exactly. So Nobody. he led the team in blocks with two blocks in his team low fourteen minutes because he was playing serious, but he's not flashy enough to get the ball and do windmills like everyone else wants to do. Exactly. And I also feel like in a game where well, his his number one the the draw to Jared Allen is his blocking capabilities, and you don't want to look like you're the only one try harding, so you're not going to just be out here sending everyone's layups in the paint. So I don't. That's why I feel like it's not his type of game. Like if he would have been out there contesting every wide open layup, he would look like someone trying way too hard. So I just feel like he just let the game come to him, got his two free throws, got his two blocks. He did pin Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons yes. tried to bang it on him, yes. and he sent his shot. And then uh, Josh Akogi, he sent one of his shots. But that was about it for Jared Unfortunately, Allen. Unfortunately, he had a team low minus eight. But between the two of them, Rodion's Karooks showed out for the Nets. So it was good. The Nets had a good all-star break, to be yes, honest. Especially yes. with, with the person we're about to talk about now. So on to Joe Harris and the three-point competition. It was... Just saying, I called the exact final. Okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. So we have a group chat with our friends and everything, just like most of you probably do. And we all said like three people we want or that we think are going to win. Hunter, who are your three? I said I said the three finalists would be Steph Curry, Joe Harris, and Seth Curry. But I said it would between it would be between Joe Harris and Steph for who would win. I think I said I said Buddy Heald was going to win. But yeah, you said Buddy Heald and Steph. You did I said not give Buddy. my man's Joe Harris any love. <laughs> I said Buddy Heald and Steph. Um, to be honest, I got three of the. I got two of the three finalists. So did I. But so, I called I mean, Joe Harris, and I said he could probably win it. So, but no, Joe Harris showed out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Joe Harris went first, and he just came out the gates gunning. First person to go, he came out with 26, set the bar high. 25. He came out with 25, set the bar high. Buddy Heald got 26, Steph got 27, so Joe Harris barely made it into the but next round. somebody having 25 to start puts a lot of pressure on the rest of the field because the next highest behind him was Danny Green, had 23. So he he made it by, by a money ball, but... Yeah, he set the bar high. It would have been tough to beat, and only people like Steph and Buddy Heal could do that. And I feel like they were like they tried to play Joe Harris and put him first because nobody really knew know who he was, knew who he is. And the thing is, like, it was in Charlotte. Steph and Seth are from Charlotte. The whole precursor to the three point contest was some skills challenge with Dell and 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 Ray Allen, which was horrible. That I always hate when they do that stuff before all the challenges. Like when it was Kevin Hart versus Yeah, Draymond like Green. that and like the Papa shot with Quavo and <laughs> like I no one cares about that. But I feel like everyone I used to like the shooting stars they did when I the I did too. Player. I did too. I feel like everybody wanted Seth or Steph to win. So when Seth got knocked out they in the first round, Seth versus yes. Steph in the final. Yes, they did. They that easily been the did. Ideal situation: the two brothers going at it. Who's the best shooter in the family? <laughs> exactly. Like who's the best shooter in Golden State in Literally. 2016? Literally, that's what they wanted. But Seth got knocked out first round, and then in the finals, Buddy Hield 19, Steph Curry 24, Joe Harris 26. It was looking slow. 
it was looking slow for Joe Harris, but he hit every single ball on the money rack, which was his last rack. And uh, he just ended up smoking Steph Curry 26-24. And honestly, I feel like that was a big win for Brooklyn. Because, like, going into it, Joe Harris was probably the, the, le- like, the person that was least known, easily. Because you got Chris Middleton, Dirk, everyone knows Dirk. Kemba, it's in Charlotte. Everyone, I have a voice crack. Everyone knows Dirk. It was in Charlotte. Chris Middleton, I feel like people know Chris Middleton more than they know Joe Harris. Everyone knows Dame. But was Joe Harris the worst player on the list? The worst player on the list is Seth Curry. Yes, that's <laughs> true. And in the and present day Dirk Nowitzki. Oh, yeah, Dirk is kind of trash, but... And but yeah, I just feel like it was good for Brooklyn because nobody nobody really expected Joe Harris to win outside of Brooklyn fans. But I'm not a Brooklyn fan. I call Joe. Okay, Harris but you a- do a Brooklyn Nets podcast. Of yeah. course, you know Joe Harris is nice. That's true. He's all reliable. <laughs> exactly, all reliable. Bought home the 2019 three point contest, and uh, he'll probably be in it next year. Definitely, yeah, he's going to defend he's his title. He's definitely going to be in it next year. Um, the skills challenge. Unfortunately, the Nets didn't have anyone in the skills well, challenge. Well, Dinwiddie challenged Tatum, yeah. so he they didn't have, was about to be in it next Dinwiddie year. Dinwiddie was commentating the skills challenge since he won it last year, but since his thumb is messed up right now, he just commentated it. And uh, he challenged Jason Tatum to the W. I don't know if Spencer Dinwiddie can win if, uh, if people are taking full court, half court shots, but uh, we'll see. Trey Young's definitely going to be in it again. He after said he that, wants to win it. He said, like, he said he's thing. going to win it next year. And I honestly believe it because he was mad. <laughs> he was sick. The yeah, way he Tatum was, hit a half court, and it was going in. Trey Young's shot was going in. Yes. And the way he was dribbling up the court, he would just bounce it and run to it. <laughs> that was sick. But on to the um, All Star Game, the the most popular event of the week. We had LeBron James versus Giannis Antetokounmpo. Both of their teams, Team LeBron, won one seventy eight, one sixty four. D'Lo was drafted to Team Giannis. So it wasn't looking good in like the first four quarter, in like the first four quarters, the first three quarters, because D'Lo was the last all, the last person in the game to score. Like every, he was the last All Star in the game to score at all. But thankfully, he didn't have the least amount of points. That he outplayed Kyle Lowry. Definitely. He outplayed Kemba Walker. Kemba was trash, and he didn't outplay Nick Vucevic. But they both only played twelve minutes. Yeah, D'Lo and Nick Vucevic had similar games. Yeah, and. They, it was just good for D'Lo to be there. Like, I'm not going to lie. If I had to give him a grade, I'd probably give him, like, a B plus Because he did seem timid. Like, he, he seemed like he was just going to let all the other All-Stars rock and do what they want to do. He pulled up for, like, a, a shot deep from the hash. But that was about the only crazy thing he did. He had a couple good passes. One to Dirk before they called the timeout. And then one to Steph for the four-point play on Clay. I just would like to say for everyone who is ragging on Steph Curry for shooting 6 of 23 for 17 points. Him and Chris Middleton are the only ones with a positive plus minus on the team. So I honestly want to say if Mike Budenholzer wasn't coaching this team, D'Lo would have played more minutes because he was playing Chris Middleton an outrageous amount of minutes. Like, there's no, like, why does Chris Middleton play 21 minutes, but Russell Westbrook plays 19, Vucevic plays 11, Kyle Lowry 12, Kemba only plays 20. It's, and it was in Kemba's hometown. Exactly, exactly. Hometown, that's not right. Mike Budenholzer was clearly, clearly being biased towards his players, but it's whatever. D'Lo still came out with six points on two of five shooting. Every shot he attempted was a three. And then uh, three assists and one turnover. But Like, turn- sure, when Steve Kerr was the coach, he played his four at the same time with one all-star so he could gauge how it would be if they got a fifth all-star like they did right now. 
but that's fair because he never played Draymond Green overly like the amount he should. He never played him above 20 minutes. Like the playing D'Lo and Lowry 12 minutes and playing Middleton 21 it just doesn't make sense. There's no way that any you can justify that other than the fact that Mike Budenholzer was a coach. But other than that, I think it was a pretty good All Star game. Like KD won MVP. That was I mean that was the most quiet 31 that I've ever seen from KD. I didn't even know he had 31 at the end of the game. KD's meant for the All-Star game. Yeah. Because he makes every shot he takes. He, he literally takes, yeah, he's, he's a monster in the All-Star game. That, uh, Team LeBron was losing and then Dame went crazy. Look, but Dame saved them, but LeBron drafted his team for the clutch. Giannis drafted his team for the whole start of the game. Like, once it came down to a clutch and you have Kyrie and KD in the game, it's over. Yeah, it's, 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 over. it's over. It's literally, there's nothing they can do. But, yeah, that was the All-Star game. We think we think the Nets had a pretty good All-Star weekend. We had Joe Harris winning the three-point competition. We had Jared Allen and Rodion Skarouk showcasing their skills in the Rising Stars game. And then we had D'Lo in the All-Star I'm game. I'm just still amazed that Jared Dudley got snubbed from this game. Uh, I thought you were going to say Jared Allen. That's crazy. Jared, I don't even want to rag on Jared Dudley no more because he be doing his thing on Twitter. I kind of yeah. like Jared Dudley on Twitter. He's a good personality. <laughs> he's, he's lit he's on Twitter. Guy. But when we get into the game, that's a nah, different he story. He hasn't been playing, so it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. That's it's what I'm right. saying. He's living. He's living. I could honestly see Jared Dudley being like a commentator when he yeah, retires. He knows the game well. Yeah, yeah. I just don't want to see him on the court. Yeah, don't no need to be on the court. And that's no shade to Jared Dudley. You're I I messaged you on Twitter. It's just you trash. Like, there's nothing. There's nothing more for me to say. Like he's he's a bad basketball player right now. I don't think anyone can disagree. But then the All Star break ended and the Nets played the Portland Trailblazers' first game back from the All Star break. Look, the Blazers are quietly a very good contender to win the West. Now that they have Enos Cantor off the bench, they're a team to mess with because their bench center is now not Zach Collins. And not Myers Leonard. It's Enos Cantor. So they have someone to score and offensive rebound. And in his first game, he had 18 points and was third on the team in scoring. Almost double-doubled. And he carried the bench. Say what you want about Enos Cantor, but having him as your bench center is kind of crazy. Because he'd be the starter on a ton of NBA teams. That's why I wanted the Celtics to get him, because they can play him over hey, Aaron I would have been happy if the Lakers got Aaron him. Aaron Baines. He would have been your starter. Yeah, he would have easily been our starter. He's better than JaVale McGee by a long mile. <laughs> easily. But yes, the Nets lost 99-113 to to the Trailblazers. It was a rough game for the Nets. They actually won the turnover battle 12-13. to but they got that out wasn't the issue. They yeah. couldn't hit a three to save their life. Neither could the Blazers, really. But yeah, but the Nets rely more so on threes than a lot of teams in the NBA. So when they're not hitting, it really shows. The Nets got out rebounded sixty to forty nine. Yeah, offensive yeah. rebounded nineteen to twelve. That was a big problem last year. Hopefully, it does not continue. I don't believe it will continue. The Nets are pretty good at offensive rebounding this year, thanks to Ed Davis and Jared Allen's improvement. And then, yeah, like we said, the Nets shot 19.4% from the three-point line. They were 7 of 36, and they shot 39.1% from the field. They were 36 of 92, while the Blazers shot 43.8%. They were 46 for 105. Um, Moving on to the box score, it was really nothing crazy. Like, they did get lit up by Joseph Nurchik, but they did a good job on Dame. 
Yusuf Nurkic is actually having a quiet, amazing year. Did you see what Ben Simmons said to him? Yeah. <laughs> we can't what repeat he said it. to Ben Simmons? No, what did he say to Ben Simmons? He basically told Ben Simmons that he's a better shooter than him. He he definitely is. They're not average. Like, their averages aren't that far apart. Yusuf Nurkic averages, like, one less point, like, one less assist, like, more rebounds. It's not nothing. And neither of them can hit a three. Did you see Ben Simmons willingly take a three the other day and he missed? He, he, he's he been he's definitely taking, like, three threes this season. He definitely hasn't hit one. Joel Embiid was like, I think he should start taking them more. Yeah, no, they're all... They're all saying that he should shoot more. And I, as a Celtics fan, please do. We'll sit there in the paint and grab the boards all night long because he's going to miss them. He can't shoot. I think he should have took more in the All-Star game. Like that's the, If you're going to shoot them in any game, you might as well just chuck up a three in the All-Star game. I don't think he attempted one. The way when they were playing the wake the the Lakers when they were playing the Lakers the way LeBron guarded him was literally standing in the paint and letting him just giving him miles of green space with at the three point line he took one three shanked it never took another one but back to the Trailblazers game like we said Joseph Nurchik twenty eight minutes twenty seven points ten of fifteen from the field twelve rebounds five turnovers three blocks C J McCollum twenty one on nine of nineteen shooting he was one of six from the uh, three point line. He had six rebounds and five assists, and then we did a good job on Dame. He in 36 minutes, was, which was a team high on the Blazers. He only had 13 points on five of 21 shooting. He was two of nine from the three-point line. He did have eight assists and eight rebounds and one, only one turnover, so he got involved in other ways outside of scoring. But it's good to see them actually lock up the Blazers' by far best player. And then Enos Cantor. 19 minutes, 18 points. Hunter already ran down his stats. The problem this game was definitely our interior defense. Joseph Nurchik and Enos Cantor had 27 and 18. There's no way that that can happen. They also had 12 rebounds and 9 rebounds. That is just a testament to how bad the Nets bigs are on defense. Uh, Jared Allen, on the other hand, had 12 points on 4-7 shooting, 11 rebounds. He had 12 and 11 with 0 blocks. So we honestly need to do a better job in the paint guarding big men. But with Jared Allen's really our only center. Like when you look at our roster, who else can match up with a big man like Enos Cantor, Joseph Nurchik in the post? Ed Davis, and that's that's literally about it. And he only had, he had zero blocks too, and he doesn't play enough minutes to actually make a difference. Then it makes you think, why didn't the Nets go for Enos Cantor? I don't know why they didn't, or or even someone like Markeith Morris. I could have seen them taking Markeith Morris. Didn't I say that? I said yeah. I wanted them to get Markeith Morris. Markeith Morris would have been because we have been Trevion Graham starting at power forward. So why not have Markeith Morris? I don't understand. Does not make sense. Doesn't make sense at all. Joe Harris, all reliable, coming off his three point contest win, was 0 for 3 from 3. 13 minutes, I mean, 13 points in 28 minutes, 5 of 10 from the field, 4 rebounds. Trevion Graham was 0 of 4 in 16 minutes. Karis Levert, 4 of 11 from the field, 12 points in 20 minutes, still working his way back from injury. And D'Lo was a minus 30. He had 28 minutes. 14 points on 4 of 16 shooting, 2 of 9 from the three point line, 4 of 6 from the free throw line. Four rebounds, eight assists, and only one turnover, so that's good. He got involved in other ways, but the 4 of 16 from the field is honestly, obviously not good. And then Allen Crabb was the team's leading scorer, 17 points on 7 of 13 shooting. Hit knocked down three triples. I just want to continue to keep saying, Ed Davis, the one of the most stellar pickups of the offseason by the Nets, 23 minutes, 15 points, 
10 rebounds. The man is a monster on the boards. He had three offensive rebounds, seven defensive rebounds in only 23 minutes. That's insane. This wasn't the Nets' greatest game, but I honestly just want to chalk it up to them being a little lackadaisical coming off the break after having such a good break. I think they just came out sluggish, and the Trailblazers ended up making them pay. But now we have the Charlotte Hornets game. D'Lo did have a bad game, first game back, but he shook it off for this one. For his birthday. 40 points. We'll get to him later, though. My favorite performance of the night was Joe Harris. 19 points on 5 of 7 shooting. He only had 7 shots. He had 19 points. With 2 rebounds, 4 assists, a steal, and a block. And a team high plus minus plus 14. Joe Harris played an amazing game. Yeah, he did. He was 6 of 6 from the free throw line as well. Um, Trevion Graham, nothing really to talk about. Jared Allen, 31 minutes, which is more than he usually gets. 11 points, 11 rebounds, 4 of 8 from the field. Uh, Karis Levert has played so ugly since he came back. I hope he goes back to his early season form. But right now it's looking like what happened when D'Lo got hurt last year, which is not good. Not good, not good. <laughs> um, Karis, this is the most minutes he played since he returned. Six points, two of eight from the field. Five rebounds, two assists, and a steal, and a block. Alan that one Crab, block was super important. We'll get to that later. My bad. <laughs> Alan Crabb only had three points on one of six shooting. It's his first bad game in a while. He's been playing really well. And... Uh, aside from that, no one on the bench really played all that well. It was a lot of D'Angelo Russell and Joe Harris, but mainly D'Lo. Um, on to the Hornets box score. Really, it was just Kemba and to- Tony Parker. Tony Parker. Tony Parker has occasional games where he just balls out, and I knew he would be the type of player to light up the Nets. Something like that always happens. You know, Patty Mills, DJ Augustine. Like, when they play the Clippers, I bet you Garrett Temple pulls up with <laughs> 40. Like, it's it's ridiculous players like that that the Nets give up points to. So, yeah, 65-year-old Tony Parker, 29 minutes, 21 points on 10 of 16 from the field. With five rebounds and five assists. Exactly. Led the team in assists. And then uh, no one else really showed out except for Kemba. Kemba, 40 minutes, 32 points on 12 of 28 from the field. He only had three assists. He didn't really do much else outside of score. He took 15 threes, made six of them. And that's really all for the box score. Um, when it comes to the turnovers, the they, both teams had 12 turnovers. The Nets got out-rebounded by one, but the total rebounds were tied at 42 the net shot 34.3%. No, the net shot 39.5% from the three-point line, knocking down 17 of 43 attempts. Shot 46% from the field, while the Hornets shot 55.3% from the field. And uh, this game really came down to the wire. They were getting clapped going into the fourth, and then D'Lo just exploded. The The kid had, it was his 23rd birthday. He had matched his career high with 40 points, scored 12, he scored the Nets' last 12 points of the game. Including a shot where he lost the ball and it went in the basket. That's how you know you're having a crazy night. He went up with two hands, thought he got fouled, so started flailing his arms, lost the ball, and it went in the basket. Amazing shot. An amazing game. And at the end of the game, the most contra- – honestly, I just want to talk about Dealer real quick. I love when he gets like that, and that's the type of thing that all-stars do. 
Like, that's the type of thing that differentiates just regular low-level players from, or, or regular mid-tier average NBA players from All-Stars. And Miles Bridges even said on Instagram after the game that he learned his lesson, D'Angelo Russell's an All-Star, and that's why. Do you know why he said that? Because he was mocking the Ice in the Veins thing. Yes. He he mocked it. D'Lo killed them. Uh, Tristan Thompson mocked it. D'Lo killed them. Clearly, whenever you mock the Ice in My Veins celebration, D'Lo takes offense and starts bodying your team. The ability for him to perform like this is the reason that no one wants to see them in the playoffs. Because all it takes is for him to get hot and it's game over. And I mean, sure, other teams can do the same thing. But if they wind up playing the Pacers in the playoffs, who on the Pacers right now is doing that? Because they don't have Oladipo this season. Then right now, the Nets are the six seed, thirty-one. They would play the Pacers, and they would beat the Pacers. They would easily clap the Pacers. They would easily. beat the Pacers if they if it winds up being the Sixers. I'm sorry, that's that's not happening. Yeah. But if they play the Pacers, that's the best case scenario. Best, yeah, honestly, best case scenario is Pacers because they play the Sixers. They have four players who can do what D'Lo can do. If they play the Celtics, Kyrie Irving can match him and top him. Okay, but. The Pacers don't have anyone to do that. So, it would be good to see them match up. And we just want to talk about the last play of the game. Super controversial. So, Karis Levert basically blocked Kemba with his elbow. He and brought the elbow down on honestly, the ball. Honestly. And, and all the Hornets fans are like, no, that's a foul, that's a foul. <laughs> it came, <laughs> no it way. came out that uh, it was not a foul because he actually just elbowed the ball. And they actually said that Kemba traveled before he even attempted yes, the shot. So. Yes, if you watch, Kemba took a dribble and took three steps before taking his next dribble, therefore a travel. Exactly. So I don't want to hear it from Hornets fans. You're lucky that you were even that close and you even had the shot to begin with. So the Nets ended up winning that game by two. NBA and- refs have been horrible this season. Did you see what yeah. happened with the Bucks celtics game? What was it? It was like... Five they, missed they messed calls. up five calls in 3.7 seconds, the Celtics' last inbounds play. Two of the fouls were against the Bucks. It was three calls against the Celtics that they missed, an illegal screen, a travel, an out-of-bounds, and Kyrie got fouled by two different people in three seconds, and they missed all five of those calls. I honestly don't know what they're going to do about officiating, though. Uh, like, it was talked about that they might add a fourth official to the floor, but, like, then that's, that's just not going to do that's anything. That's not going to do anything. Another set of eyes that does not see the right thing. So especially, it's, you're not, and it's going to be an inexperienced ref. Like they're going to hire new refs. They're not going to take refs off of other games. So it's just going to be a new ref that doesn't know what he or she is doing anyway. So yes, we also just want to touch on the fact that the NBA's basically submitted the proposal to move the drafting age down to 18. So that would basically mean, like, it came after Zion Williamson basically tore through his shoe and everyone's fearing a torn ACL or anything. It's honestly, it's just a knee sprain. He's day-to-day right now. But the conversation is, should he go back to college? Like, should he play another game and possibly risk re-injuring himself? So the NBA decided to um, put out the proposal to have... uh, players enter the league at 18 and it's supposed to take place in the 2022 draft so we got a couple years until then but honestly my opinions on it I think it's perfectly fine I don't think players should be forced to go to college anyway if they're ready to come into the NBA and ball then sure they can go ahead and do it I agree but also those players have to realize you can turn out like Austin Rivers you can turn out like Anthony Simons if you're not ready you're not ready and they have to weigh that because 
Austin Rivers thought he would be one and done, go top 10, and automatically be the best player on the Hornets next to Anthony Davis. And now he's a backup. Anthony Simons did not even see the court, and he was supposed to be this young prodigy for basketball. So if Zion never goes to Duke and goes straight to the league... He wouldn't be the first pick. Say say he would have went last year, he wouldn't have been the first pick. No shot. Would he be compared to LeBron? He was being compared to LeBron, but he definitely wouldn't but, be this hyped. But at 18, would people expect him to come in as a starter and be compared to LeBron? And he might be put in a situation where he's not a starter for a couple of years, which could be bad for him. As the number one pick, you're going to start right away, and you're expected to be like LeBron. Or KD. Or he was number two, but still. But, or AD. There you go. Kyrie. That level talent. And... If he just goes at 18 and never goes to school, that opens up the door for other people who are staying at school, like R.J. Barrett, who would have gone to Duke this year probably anyway, or Cam Reddish definitely would have gone to school. He would have ran Duke by himself. And what a lot of people don't take into account is the fact that players do, like, Zion's being touted as, like, the best prospect since AD, the best number one prospect since AD. Some people are saying he's better AD, which, better than AD, which would mean he's the best number one prospect since, like, Greg Oden and KD and all of them. But what you have to take into account is a lot of one-and-done players value that year they spent in college. Like, a lot of one-and-done players like that college experience that they receive. Like, we're in college right now, and the college, like, uh, the college experience is essential to a lot of young people. So players that go one and done, they appreciate that college experience. Like I remember uh, Demarcus Cousins that he appreciated his time. Um, Melo loves his time at Syracuse. KD in Texas, he gave like five million dollars to them. A lot of players don't want to miss out on that. But also then a lot of high school players just think of like, oh, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to do work. So I'm just going to go to the NBA. But you also miss out on a valuable year of development and also an experience that you can't really recreate. So I honestly think it's just going to be a, a lot. A lot of thought is going to have to go into it. It's not like every nice college prospect isn't going to come out. It's the mentality. The people who underthink it and say, "Oh, I could just go to the league," are going to be bad. They're going to be bad, and they're going to ruin their careers. And it's going to be missed talent. This might actually change the path that they're on right now. The overflow of talent, seeing a lot of good prospects end up on deep benches not seeing a lot of minutes like a Robert Williams on the Celtics or like McKinney on the Warriors he sees some minutes but players like that who are on the end of benches it, if players start leaving in high school it could change that route because some drafts may be way more loaded than other drafts because there's a lot of high school classes that are weak and there's some that are like Zion and R.J. Barrett. So it all depends on the class before. So before we get out of here, we just want to talk about the Nets' upcoming schedule because they're going to have some tough games that they're going to have to win. So we looked at the schedule and they have 21 games left. 14 of them are against playoff teams. 16 of them are against teams that are no lower than the 10th seed. And the 17th is the Wizards, who are the 11th seed. So they play four games against bad teams. Yeah, literally four games against bad teams. Those teams are the Hawks, the Mavericks, the Cavs, and... The, no, the Hawks, the Mavericks, and the Cavs. 
Yeah, the Hawks, the Mavericks, and the Cavs, and the Spurs, I guess. But nah, the the Wizards were the other team. So, eighteen games against playoff makeable teams. The only horrible teams they play are the Hawks, the Mavericks, and the Cavs. And the Mavericks aren't even horrible when they're at full strength. Exactly, and the Cavs are getting Kevin Love back. The so. Cavs and Hawks, they and got some fight. <laughs> so, really, there's no gimme games until the end of the season. And the Magic are on a tear and have an easy schedule, and they're out of the playoffs right now. So, unless the the Nets start winning some meaningful games, those three games they're apart from the Magic turn to zero games, and they're looking at fighting for the eighth seed again. Exactly. So, the Nets are the sixth seed right now. There's no way they catch up to the Celtics unless they just go on a monstrous losing streak. The Nets are one and a half games above the seven seed Pistons, and... So basically, and two games ahead of the Hornets, the eight seeded Hornets, so which makes them three games ahead of the Mav, uh, the Magic, and three and a half ahead of the Heat, and then the drop off is to the Wizards, which is six and a half. They're the only team that can really still make it if they go on a run. The Magic well, and the but... Heat are can very easily make it into the playoffs, and no, those are two teams that are kind of on a run the the magic are on a they've won four of their last five games and they're eight and two in their last 10 exactly so the magic are destroying teams and the pistons are seven and three in their last 10 exactly and the nets are four and six in their last 10 and uh they're gonna have to basically the let me just name a couple of the the nets schedule end of season so yeah they play the Cavs and the hawks back to back wait wait their run consecutively Goes Blazers, Sixers, Celtics, Bucks, Raptors, Bucks, Pacers. That back to back. We didn't skip any those games. Those are all top three seeds in their conference. Those are all back, and those games are all right next to each other. They don't get a break from March 25th to April 7th. They don't get a break. Their only hope is that the Bucks clinched home field by then. Or home court. They play the Bucks twice. If the Bucks clinched home court by then, that's their only hope because then they really don't have much to play for anymore. They but. play the Bucks twice. Right now, the Bucks are on a four-game win streak. They're twenty and nine on the road, nine and one in their last ten, and have the best record in the NBA. Like that's those could easily be two losses that could knock them out of the playoffs, depending on how the Magic, the Heat, and the Hornets and the Pistons are doing. And it's not like before that they don't play the Jazz, Clippers, Kings, and Lakers, too. Exactly, which could also be losses. The Thunder right before that. They have a tough, tough schedule. And they play the Heat twice and the Pistons that mean a lot for the playoffs. So, basically, all we're saying is the Nets are going to have to boss up and win the majority of these upcoming games, or at least split. It looks like they're making the playoffs, but if you really look into it, there's a good chance they don't. So that, they're going to have to win some games. Some critical games. That mean something. They're going to have to be clutch, bottom line. Like. So, yeah, going into this last part of the season, we're going to see what the Nets are really made of, and hopefully they can clinch a playoff spot and make it into the playoffs so we can cover the playoffs. We're definitely going to go to If the Nets make the playoffs, we're definitely going to a game. But with all that being said, thank you guys for listening. Make sure you go 
subscribe to us on iTunes. You can look up Brooklyn Nets. We'll come up. Make sure you go follow us on Twitter at HoopBallNet. You can follow your host. I'm Najee. I'm, I, on Twitter, I'm at Najee Adams underscore. If you don't know how to spell Najee, it's N-A-J-E-E Adams underscore. Hunter's at Hunter underscore J-K-R on Twitter. And uh, yeah, make sure you leave a rating and review on iTunes. All ratings and reviews are getting read on the podcast. And uh, hope you guys had a good day. We'll see you all next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.